Before we begin, I wanted to mention two things. The first one is, as a church, Forest View is led by a group of wonderful individuals from all ages and spectrums, and um, it's made up, and it's called the leadership team. And this leadership team is a team that helps guide, make decisions uh, by consensus together, seeking the Lord and coming together and by consensus making decisions. And we are in a phase now where we're looking for some new members to enter into the team. So we have some members stepping off and some new ones stepping up. And so what we'd like to ask you as a, as a congregation is if there's any people in the church whose names you'd like to submit and say, you know, I'd really like you to consider this as a team, uh, maybe adding this person to the leadership team. We want to hear from you. We know that the, the Spirit speaks to the entire church. And hopefully through this process, as we get names that are given to us, we will deliberate and discern and pray over it and come to a couple names of individuals who will join the team and then continue to lead the church as it's been led historically. So please let us know, let myself know, uh, Doug Dias, or just send an email into the office and we're really excited to see who God is going to be having join us in this next coming year. The second thing is that following the service, we are inviting the young adults to join us for a potluck in the youth room. So if you're a young adult, uh, please just come on over. If you've brought food, that's amazing. If you haven't, we'll, we'll bring it all together and we'll make sure that we have something there for you. So please join us in the room uh, to your left through those doors and we're really excited about that. When I came to Oakville and this whole region, one of the things that really surprised me is when I come up Bronte Road, there is this beautiful site that I come across. You know this tree? It's a beautiful tree. And there's a history behind this. This tree is over 250 years old. It's older than the town of Oakville. And what I heard actually uh, was part of uh, some people in our congregation, their families actually involved in this effort that happened probably about 10 years ago to save the tree because the road was coming up there being expanded and the tree was being cut down. And so actually citizens of the city raised up some money and actually saved that tree. And it's a very beautiful, stately tree when you look at it. And when I'm thinking about our journey with Jesus, we've been talking about traveling and going on the way with him. We've gone with him through the waters. We've gone up to the desert with him. We've gone up into the mountains with him. We've come back down and kind of had a little pit stop at the rock last week. And what is going to happen whenever you are on the way with Jesus, no matter which way you're going, whichever, which way he takes you, you will always be led to a tree. In the middle of your path, as you walk with Jesus, you are going to come face to face with a mighty tree. The tree can't be avoided. The tree is part of the definition and the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It is the tree of life, but it is also a tree of death to self. It is the cross and following Jesus will always take you to the cross. In Matthew 16, right after he's had this discussion with Peter about his identity as being the Messiah, we've had the declaration that Peter has, like, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. We hear this story. And from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day 
be raised to life. From that time on, once Peter has confessed this truth about who Jesus is, he is the Messiah of Israel, the, the Savior of the world, from that time on, the journey takes a path that's maybe a bit unexpected. All of a sudden, the way gets rocky. Things are about to get real. Jesus starts making his way towards the big city, the big smoke, Jerusalem. If you want to think about what Jerusalem kind of meant to the people of Israel, it was kind of like if we put Toronto and Ottawa together. The cultural capital, the big city where people would come to from the outskirts. But it was also like the legislative hub, the legal hub, where all the laws of the land were made. And Jesus says, I have to go there. In fact, it says, this doesn't say I'm going there. It says, I must go there. If you notice, the, the, the term must is repeated a few times there. He must be killed. The word is actually day. It's D-E-I, day, which means it is necessary. It is necessary that I am killed. I love that word day. It's actually the middle name of my son, my middle son, Justice. It means it is necessary, but it also means in Latin, of God. And so we're hearing in this term, when it, when it says, this is God's will. I have to suffer. It's part of the plan of God. Suffering is part of the journey. Now Jesus will on three times instruct his followers about exactly what's about to happen to him. I'm going to Jerusalem and it's not going to be pretty when we get there. The elders and the chief priests, the teachers of the law, by the way, Pharisees make up two groups there. The elders and the teachers of the laws would be Pharisees, a good portion of them. And I have to go here and that is the Sanhedrin. This is the, the, the parliament of Israel, and I'm going to go there, and they, the lawmakers of the land, not just the police, the actual legislators, are going to have me killed. We're learning here that doing God's will should always take precedence over fear of death. I will be killed and raised. This is the essence of our faith. This is, what, this is what it means to be a Christian, to be able to say, I believe that Jesus Christ walked this earth and that he died on the cross and then he rose again. And in that, my sins have been forgiven. So here we have Jesus. He is giving a prediction of his resurrection, his death and resurrection. But I want to put it out there, I think he's also not just giving a prediction of what's going to happen to him, he's giving a prescription of what it's going to mean to actually follow him on the way. If you follow Jesus on his journey, you too are going to face this life and death cycle. Now, it's something that Peter can't understand. Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and he looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block 
to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Be it far from you, Lord. Death is over here and you are over here and they're never going to get close to each other. Not on my watch. Now, Peter's thinking in the flesh. He has just confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, the King of Israel. But what's interesting is, to Peter, here we have this great Messiah who, to him, is going to be the, the king who ushers in the prosperity of Israel, who's going to conquer the Romans, who's going to help lift them up in the eyes of the world, who's going to make Israel great again. And so when he hears Jesus talk about death, he says, no, no, defeat is not an option. And so he doubles down, literally, literarily. He actually uses a, a double negative. In English, when we use double negative, um, it means equals a positive, right? So, I mean, and sometimes that doesn't always equal a positive sentiment. So if someone says to you, uh, I ask you, hey, uh, do you like my sweater? And if someone says, well, it's not, not ugly, you're probably offended a little bit, right? You're like, wait a second, that means it is ugly, in Greek, when you say a double negative, not, not, it means like doubly not. Nope, it's not going to happen, Lord. I am not letting this happen. Now, Jesus reacts to this in a way that, I don't know about you, when, I, when you first kind of read this, you, that's kind of harsh, Jesus. No, Jesus, I don't want you to die. Satan! Right? You're like, what? That's, that's pretty strong. What's happening here is Jesus is saying he notices this is the same diabolic source that was behind the temptation to Jesus. Remember the temptation? The temptation was, hey, take the easier path. Don't do the Father's will who's going to have you suffer and, and die. Go this way. And so Jesus heard this voice before and he says, no, no, I can't, I can't work that way. Notice what Peter's doing. Peter has just declared Jesus the Messiah. This is a great high point in the life of the church. He's recognized Jesus. Said, That's from God. No one else can ever recognize that. He, he understands he's the Messiah. He understood, but he didn't understand. Because here he is telling the Messiah, nah, you don't get it. You're the Messiah, Jesus. But let me teach you a few things. Is he the Messiah or not? And so Jesus calls him a very interesting name. He says, you are a stumbling block. Now, what's a stumbling block but like a rock that you walk and you might trip over? And what does he just rename Peter? You are the rock. But right now, you're a stumbling rock. The word is actually scandalon. You're, you're, you're scandalizing me. If I, if I go like this, this will be a scandal. I can't listen to you, Peter. Do you ever think that you know a little bit better than God? Everything's going on in your life, and you're like, eh, this isn't the way you should be doing it, God. Here's a couple things. This will be a little bit better. Let me submit, respectfully submit my plans to you. 
It's not easy to accept God's way, is it? When it goes through difficulty and pain and hurt. Are there times when you actually don't accept the path of Jesus? When you kind of turn, turn away, you just, I can't, I, can't, I can't do that. I want this too much. I want, I want to be the general in the Lord's army that conquers the Romans. But if Peter's going to understand the wisdom of the cross, then he's going to have to come to this place where he realizes that he has to set aside his pride and his own ambitions, his natural inclinations, and he's going to have to start to reach for the things of God. That his life is going to have to enter this sacrificial ministry. Now, we are all subject to merely human concerns. But God's ways are higher. And always, there's always this struggle going on. And so God is calling us people. He says, I'm not calling you to self-indulgence. Self-preservation is not on the top of God's concerns. There's a higher picture. There's a, a cosmic picture. So make no bones about it. If you are actually to walk on the way with Jesus, the road is going to be bumpy. And then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their life? For the Son of Man is going to come on the Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what they have done. Deny yourself. Think beyond yourself. This word deny is actually the exact same word that is used for what Peter does later. Peter, deny yourself. Peter denies Jesus three times. When we think of deny or a denial, we have to think like, oh, I deny those accusations against me. Right? Oh, you're, in, you're in denial. This is a stronger word, this denial. This is like an actual complete turning and rejection of, of a thing or a person. For example, last week we learned that when um, a son or a, a daughter in ancient times upset or offended their parents, that there would be a point where a parent would actually deny them and say, you're not my child. It's a complete turning away. What Peter's being told to here is saying, at some point, as, as a Christian, you're going to have to turn to God and deny yourself. That's not easy. Some would say it's unnatural. We have this human instinct to preserve ourselves, and to, to reach and to grab You have to completely reject your own way of living. And you got to take up your cross. Any Jewish person in Palestine would immediately know what was happening there. The Romans had this sadistic way of doing the crucifixion that you would actually have to spend time carrying the very thing that's going to kill you. It's a horrible psychological torture, isn't it? 
that you're carrying this thing and, and it's hurting you and you're, you're going as far as you can with it. And it reminds me kind of like if you watch any movies where there's kind of like the mob involved, right? Where they, you, basically they take you to the car and they give you a shovel and then you have to you dig your own grave. Isn't that sadistic and horrible? And we're hearing here, this is exactly the thing that Christians are going to be called to endure. There's going to be times when it put upon you from outside, horrible difficulties are going to come your way. And you're going to be asked to carry that. To walk through that. And follow Jesus. It's nothing that he hasn't done. He's actually walked the same path. He understands the suffering and the hurt that we have to walk through. And this all comes down to your life. It says that if you want to find life, you're going to have to let it go. And if you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. The word there for life is, you can say psyche, if you're going to transliterate it. And it kind of helps me kind of think about these things a little bit. If you try to hold on to your psyche, you try to control it, and you, you're actually you're going to lose it. So when you, when you let go, you can actually give it to God or to, to other people. There's a sense in which we're hearing here is recognizing that your life's not your own. If you, if you want to save it, you're going to have to be able to let it go. There's this radical shift here where he's, he's telling the people that are following him that your spiritual life is going to take priority. And they're going to actually have to let go of things in your physical existence. So how do we live this out? I was thinking about this, and when we talk about denying yourself, this, again, is, is completely unnatural in many ways. But if you think about it, self-gratification doesn't. It doesn't gratify. When you, when you try to please yourself, if you're making everything about giving yourself pleasure, you end up hollow. Our culture talks about, uh, look out for number one. Make sure you take care of number one. And I was thinking about that, and, and I realized, I kind of came up, wait a second, that's actually very True. The problem is that we've misidentified number one. Who's number one? Jesus here has the gall to say it should be him. If you let go of these things for me, now if Jesus is just a man and a spiritual teacher, that is not a good thing for someone to say. Like if I stood up in front of you and said, give up everything, follow me. That's not, that's a, that's like a, a dangerous thing for a person to say if they're not who they claim you are. If Jesus is not God, if he's not someone who actually came from heaven to earth to die on a cross and be resurrected with the power of God, it's a very powerful thing to say, isn't it? But he's saying to you, are you willing to give it up for me? Who's number one? Self-denial in many ways can be a, a form of self-care. If we don't let go of things, if we just 
play this game of chasing after life and the pleasures in it. It kind of reminds me of, of The Wolf of Wall Street. There was a, a movie made out of it, but the, the book here, Stock Market Multimillionaire at 26, Federal Convict at 36, I party like a rock star, live like a king, and barely survived. And yeah, this is what we hold up as kind of this ideal of culture, living it, doing whatever fulfills you, and yet what happens is it hollows you out from, from the inside. Self-denial can actually be a form of self-care. Now, we have to be careful. When we talk about this idea of, of self-denial, there's, there's a tendency to go so far with this that you actually start to hurt yourself. Right? Like the, some of the, the old monkeys that whip themselves. I'll cause my own suffering. And that, that's not what Jesus is getting at. It's not like hurt yourself. What he's talking about is recognizing that there's going to be this giving up of yourself for others. Self-denial becomes this self-giving uh, it's accepting others and giving to others. Because there's a part of you if, you, if you, if you admit to it, that is this jealous, selfish beast, and it's lurking, and it's trying to assert itself on its environment. It wants all the power and all the money, all the sex. It, want, it, it wants to fulfill itself, and it will swallow you up. And so we have this giving of yourself denying of yourself for others. Now take up your cross, it says. When I think about taking up my cross, I start to recognize that there's the sense in which a lot of times we talk about becoming a Christian, we, we think about dying to self. And so we think about baptism as you go into the water and you die to yourself and you come back to life. So we realize, okay, I have to die to self. And it's kind of the beginning of my journey, right? That's how I become a Christian. I die to myself. I just want to throw this out there. It's not the beginning of your journey. This is your entire journey. As you walk as a Christian, there's going to be continual, continual taking up of the cross. We need to assume the mentality of a person that's like condemned to die, to recognize every day that it's not to go my way. As we follow and we get in line with Jesus, we start to learn his heart, we start to learn his, his word, we start to try to make his, his pattern our pattern. We give absolute priority to the will of God in our life. This is big stuff. But following Jesus, I want to throw this out there. When we hear about following Jesus, what this actually is talking about is being on a mission, being, uh, being out there to, to actually give to others. What did Jesus do? What was he doing as he walked this path? It wasn't to, to satisfy himself or to become, get the glory. This was actually done for others. And so as you pick up your cross, as you, as you suffer, you, you recognize this is all in, in the way of, of suffering for others. A lot of times when we talk about being missional and going out and helping for the, the, the people of God, what, I think sometimes we glamorize it to this kind of like, oh, it's, it's, it's great. And it kind of, you know, it, does, it is exciting. It is beautiful. But when you're actually doing it, 
If you're serving on the refugee team, you're going to give a lot of time to a family coming from another place and helping. And, and it is beautiful and it's wonderful, and, but it is a self-sacrifice. If you're going to serve in the church, there's going to be times when you're going to hear things and people come up with some things and say things. And, and it's not easy. You're going to have to take your cross and follow. So what crosses have you been called to take up in your life? For some of us, it will kind of seem inconsequential, won't it? When we think about, there are actual people in this world who are dying now for the name of Jesus. There are people who are literally being crucified in our world for Jesus. And thankfully, that is not a danger most of us are going to face, God willing. Perhaps for you, it's suffering through what's going on in your family. There might be some really difficult things where you have to endure each day weighs on you. It might be a suffering where you just have a loss and there's grief and it hurts every day when you wake up, it's there. It might be giving up your dream of some sort to help some people that you love and your family, giving up the fame and you might be plugging away at your job in order to give your children a better life and you don't even like this job, you just kind of... Maybe it's moving forward with Jesus in the, in, the, in the midst of mental health struggles. And walking with that or having someone who's suffering from debilitating diseases and walking with them. It's not easy to sit by your family as they suffer It might be standing by your principles at work and you're at work and people are mocking you. They're pressuring you. You might lose promotions because you're not just one of the team. I can't begin to number all the different ways in which you're going to take up your cross. In fact, yesterday we were at a staff and leadership team retreat where we had the, the, the group get together and we were sitting together and we sat around a table and we just each kind of poured out our hearts where we were at. And I gotta tell you, there is suffering. There, there is hurt. Being a leader in a church or in your home doesn't mean that things are gonna be amazingly shiny, sparkly. To be a follower of Jesus, you are gonna have to face some things that are heartbreaking. And I couldn't have been prouder to be amongst this group of leaders and praying with them and praying for each other and just realizing together we walk the path of Jesus and trust in him and hope for that day. Because he does say when you lay down your life, you will find it. There is that hope. That as you endure the cross, there is this beautiful gift of forgiveness and life 
eternal and life to the full in the midst As we travel with Jesus on the way, we're going to go through the waters. We're going to go into the desert sometimes. We're going to go up on the mountain. Look at the rest at the rock and the the pit stop. But you're going to meet the tree. You can't go around it. You can't avoid it. This is the way of Jesus. You're going to have to go through the pain and suffering. It's, it's kind of like the, the big trees in California. We have the car drive through. Right? You're, you're gonna, your journey, you're going you're gonna to pass through. The tree is the essence of following Jesus. It is the way of Jesus. The, the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And yeah, that means death to self but it is the tree of life. I would say even daily you have to pick up your cross. Right? Sometimes the, the, the cross isn't even like some, some big thing in your life. It could just be the battle not to take out your rough week on your spouse and on your children. Sometimes the battle is just being part of a family, right? You kind of, do you ever suffer the kind of like, you don't know what it takes for me to, be here and do this for you. And then, then you think about it and you're like, I don't know what they suffer having to put up with me. It might be making tough decisions in your life. Maybe it's like, you know what, I got to realign my priorities. I have to actually make Jesus the center again. But how do you take these words Deny yourself. How does that enter into your context right now? How is this forming you as a follower of Jesus? Because we have been instructed, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And after hearing that, will you still follow Jesus on the way? We have a postcard again today. Kind of this beautiful picture of a majestic yet leafless tree. I want to take a little bit of a moment to reflect upon this and what we've heard today. And we're going to ask you to take it and, and, and write a postcard. And you can write the postcard to yourself. You can write it to someone you love. You can write it to, to God. But as you're on this journey, as you're coming up to, to this part of the journey... We're going to ask ourselves, how is God asking me to deny myself? And for what purpose? Or where have I seen this beautiful cycle of death and resurrection? Have I seen this before? Where am I in this? When you hear the words, deny yourself, What is Christ saying to you?